Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, MrDiceGuy.com, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. I'm your host, Norm. I'm Ryan. I'm Ian. And on today's episode, I'm going to talk about Horrified. Ian, what are you going to talk about? I'm going to talk about Viva Java. <laughs> Coffee. Ryan? I'm going to be reviewing the Pyramid Games, City of Gods, Teotihuacan. <laughs> You could have just picked Root, so that would have been easier. <laughs> Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street in Saskatoon. They are the winner of the Joe Schuster Award for Best Comic Book Store in Canada, and they were also nominated in 2016 for the U.S. Eisner Spirit of Comics Retailer Award presented at Comic-Con. Amazing Stories, amazing collection of comic books, board games, puzzles, and collectibles can be found in their store or on their new online website. And we are back. Thank you very much. Um, uh, Before we get into uh, things that we've been playing, doing, and thinking, uh, Ryan, give us us an update on the contest from our two new sponsors. All right. So, yeah. So we introduced it last um, episode where we were running the uh, the contest where should I read out the URL? No, no, <laughs> no. Plus, Man, uh, did I get a lot of flack for that one? <laughs> oh, people were just like harassing me left, right and center. Can you can you please tell me the website that we go to again? Yeah. <laughs> so but uh, yeah, so uh, on the uh, guild number thirty thirty nine, and on Facebook and on Twitter, I posted that we were running a contest where they have to go to this link and solve a series of three puzzles. And right now, it's been a absolute success. I would I would say um, as of this recording, right now on June fifteenth, we are over two hundred unique logins to the oh, website. Nice, that's a lot, and. But on that note, um, only 22 people have successfully solved all three puzzles. Wow. Which is a, I know. So it's like, and some of them were like, as soon as the, the, the episode dropped, um, I had somebody already answer all three puzzles within like a half an hour. So they almost beat my record. <laughs> 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 but uh, it's been really, really wonderful. Uh, the, the people that have solved them. I've uh, been very appreciative. They said this is one of the most unique contests that they've ever entered. Cool. And they thought the puzzles were very clever and they were fun. And yeah, so um, you have until I believe I'm closing it out on June 28th. Right we on. record again on June. We record again on June 29th. So I'm closing it on midnight of the 28th. So you and have the contest. And the contest is to also introduce to our listeners our two new uh, two new sponsors, right? Uh, breakout Breakout Escapes and Board Game Lounge, and Mister Dice Guy, all both located here in Saskatoon. And for a lot of people that I've been responding to, a lot of people think that I created the puzzles. 
no, it was a uh, Roberta. Yeah. And, uh, Breakout Escape designed the three puzzles. Which is which is a pretty good compliment to the to to what they do. I think that's the I think that's the best uh, uh, hat tip to uh, to Breakout. So awesome. Awesome. Yeah, so it's been a it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. A lot of people have been trying to they've been uh, messaging me too and trying to get uh, hints and <laughs> clues, and I've been very generous in my 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 hints and clue giving. <laughs> Just like a kindergarten teacher. <laughs> so if you're stuck of Dyson men, all three of them are stuck. <laughs> if you're if you're stuck, um, uh, yeah, drop me a drop me a message and I'll graciously bump you towards the <laughs> the the answers cool <laughs> well um uh, we'll take we'll take that as a as a jumping point um uh, we always like to start uh start the the episode with uh kind of games of late but but i think more let's broaden that scope out to like what have you been playing doing and thinking i mean because you know fussing with your collection I want to hear stuff about that too. So Brian, start us off, man. What have you been playing, doing, and thinking? Uh, So one thing that I've been doing is that I was um, accepted into the uh, role for the Galaxy beta test for the the iPad release, uh, the iOS release. Nice. And so um, I've been testing that out. And this is a very smooth implementation of uh, role for the Galaxy. So my, my experience with Roll for the, if you don't know what Roll for the Galaxy is, it's kind of like the, it's the spinoff of, from Race for the Galaxy, the, uh, the Puerto Rico <laughs> with Space Nice. And so uh, Race for the Galaxy had a very successful implementation of their iOS app. And then the same design team is coming back and doing the Roll for the Galaxy. And ooh. This runs very, very smooth. Like the uh, the actual user interface is very intuitive and very nice. So what I've been doing is I've been more so testing out the interactions of, of the certain tiles. So like there, there's a lot of tiles that have lots of different functionalities. And so I'm just kind of going through and I'm just kind of testing out, um, hey, do these um, six point tiles, do they actually generate the, the right amount of points? Or am I, if I have this tile in my tableau, is it actually allowing me to do things it's saying that I'm allowed to do? So you're just checking the bugs and stuff too, right? Is that, right. Is that, yeah. And as of right now, um, I haven't come across very many. Ooh, nice and so clean. It, so, so it's, uh, it's going to be ready to go pretty darn soon. All right. I would, I would say. So, um, yeah. So look, be looking for Roll for the Galaxy on iOS. And I believe there's going to be Android. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. support for it as well. I'm not sure about Steam, but uh, I, I know iOS and Android uh, for sure. The, 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 just to you know, bump up the already massive collection of iPad games that I already have. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. So look for Roll for the Galaxy. iOS, Android, Steam? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I... Stumbled upon, and I think I, I I remember seeing this on Kickstarter, and it was one of those, uh, should I pledge? Shouldn't I pledge? And I thought, well, it's a, it's not a big game. It's a small card um, game. It's, uh, uh, it's called um, The Villagers, and it's a card drafting and tableau building game for one to five players. And uh, what it is is uh, th- theme wise is it's 
the Middle Ages after um, the plague hit, right? So, the, so Europe, Western Europe is, is pretty much devastated and uh, everybody has to start from scratch kind of thing. And who you are is you're a farmer. Everybody has one uh, a farmer that you start off with and some money and, uh, and a hand of cards that represent um, four different or five different domains um, and uh, the domains are, um, before I get into that thematic, let's, let's talk about the mechanism because they're so, they, they, they overlap so nicely. Um, it's kind of a tech tree thing, right? So you got a card drafting game and you got a tableau in front of you that is basically a tech tree and you can decide what, what way you go because there's so many different kind of branching choices depending on your cards in your hand, depending on they come out in the tableau, depending on how they're drafted amongst the players that you're playing. Um, but the four, now, now that you understand how you're building this tableau in front of you, um, um, how it works is you have um, agriculture, you have um, uh, forestry. I think there's like a lumberjack. You have mining, and there's a few other kind of. Um, uh, oh, and the, and the hair. So there's four main basic ones, um, and then there's uh, special individuals that will come in doing specific tasks. But it's basically that interconnectivity of those tech trees that you start. You might be um, big into mining and start discovering that there's certain um, two deep or three deep or four deep card combination chains that um, will score you points as you build this village during the Middle Ages after the plague. And, the, and at the end of the game, you have, it's like any other beautiful Euro. Um, you're, you're going for victory points. You're going for end of game combos. You're going for um, uh, um, uh, this, this synergistic connection between your resources and, and the tech path that you choose while you're doing this card drafting game. I'm a big fan so far. So... Yeah, the village. Anything on the way out with the villagers, you guys? Is this something that right away your brain's going? I I think I might have to try this. I thought I've heard of Sinister Fish games before, but I'm trying to look up what they've done before. <laughs> so as you're doing that, Ian, I know yeah, you like I just, your. Uh... Um. So I have played one game in the last two weeks since we met. <laughs> it's it's weird because. I kind of just stopped doing the online gaming and I don't know if it's just cause I'm sick of not really gaming or the fact that I'm working at home now and I'm always in front of the computer and I don't want to be outside yeah, of that. But that, 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 that's a, that's a thing because I don't know, I seem to be spending all my time in front of the computer, like you say, but then I have like no problem with sitting also sitting in front of my computer at night playing games. Yeah. Like I'm, <laughs> My, my optometrist is going to make a billion dollars off me in the after, after this. <laughs> yeah. But I did, we did get a game of uh, a two player game of castles of mad King Ludwig yesterday, oh. which is a game. I just really like. Um, and one thing that kind of bugs me is when people talk about, and I know that I'm probably all alone in this, but it bugs me when people talk about games that fired other games. <laughs> and I, for reasons I can get into it another time, I'm not going to get into that right now, but I'm, I'm kind of more of the opinion of 
if I have this game, why do I need this new game that does the same thing? And Mad King Ludwig is kind of like that with Suburbia, right? Because those are two very similar types of games. You've got those, you're building your little city or castle and the tiles are up for auction and and so on. Um, But I think that they're just different enough that you can justify having both. Right. There's things that Suburbia does that Mad King doesn't, and there's things that Mad King does and Suburbia doesn't. And I think the big difference with with the castles is that they're not just hexes, right? All the different shapes you got to fit. You got to. There's a whole different spatial element. And then, of course, there's that master builder where somebody actually sets the prices for everything that's coming up, and that's just a really cool dynamic to it as well. And then you got these cool little things like. I, I guess I was building the queen's castle because her bedroom was there, but she had to go through the meat locker to get to her bedroom. <laughs> and you just get cool little things like that with, with Mad King. I really like that game. It's been a while since I've played it, but. It's been a while since I've played that one, but I remember you hit it on the head. I like the fact of the master builder setting the prices because that's going to generate your income for the next especially in a higher player count game, that's going to set your income for the next few turns right? to, so to cool. buy some tiles. And if no one buys the tiles and you have no money to, to, to spend. Yeah. You really got to plan now, that out. And if nobody buys the tiles, do you get to use the tiles or are they just off the market? No, they're still in that little tableau for people yeah. just to rearrange and set prices to, for when they become master builder, they, they're Ooh. still all there. Oh, have you not played Mad I've, King? I've, I've not played. I mean, I love Suburbia, and I've often been, you know, drawn to give this a go, but it's never happened. But, yeah, the, I mean, the uh, the the tile, setting the price for the tile thing reminds me of, uh, was it Isle of Sky? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. Where, you, where, you put, where you put your tiles out and you put some money out in front of it. Um, and in the same regards, that's what generates the revenue that you need to get you through. So I find that mechanism intriguing. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's it's a good game for sure. But they they but definitely there there are the similarities that you that you mentioned Ian too. Like yeah. the uh, but suburbia um, has kind of like a whole different economic um, background to it, right? Like trying to keep your population up and your like yeah. your income. And, it, and so there's a whole bunch different level to suburbia. So like I said, there. I think they're just different enough that that they're it's okay. But have you have you ever played with the expansion for Mad King? Uh yes. I didn't find anything too. I like I like I like I like the moats. Like you be able to put the moat around your your castle, oh. and you can't and you can't go outside the. Yeah, I don't <laughs> the, like the, being the, the restricted the like that. <laughs> <laughs> it was just one thing that I liked about it. I don't. I don't know about the set collecting of the swans. Yeah, I just like having the different tiles, more tiles. Cool, cool. Well, Ryan, have you sure. got a little card game you want to? Uh, yeah. Win? So there, there. It's been a while that I've I've owned the, this game, and just recently realized that Jen says we've never. She's never played it before, and I was like. <laughs> I'm like, well, why do I have this game? It's a specifically, it's a two-player only card game called Fox in the Forest. And it's a two-player trick-taking game. Which which is unique. It, yeah. When mm-hmm. when people first came out, like, how is this ever going to work? 
uh, a two-player trick-taking game. Um, so I introduced it to Jen just the other week, and we've been playing it a lot. Actually, she really, really dig it. Like, we've always, like, you know, being from Saskatchewan, like, you <laughs> always sit around and play. Oh, I don't even know how many different types of trick-taking games I know. But uh, wait, wait, so. sorry, sorry. I'm wondering how many people have just stopped listening to the podcast, scrubbed back 15 seconds to go. What did he say? Where are they from? What was that long word? <laughs> Saskatchewan, Saskatchewan. Yeah, sorry about that. I just my brain went off. Hey, well, <laughs> you know, well, I was just I was, now you're making me tangent here. Way to go, Norm. You're gonna make me tangent. I was just playing a game with a guy on Board Game Arena, Nathan. Shout out to Nathan, listener. Uh, poster, um, yeah, yeah, and uh, he's from Atlanta, and he was mentioning he's like I can't I couldn't remember where you're from. He says, "Is it from Saskatchewan?" And he typed it in and he spelt it correctly, like beautifully, first time. And I said, "There's a lot of people from Saskatchewan that don't even know how to spell Saskatchewan." <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, people in Saskatchewan like trick taking <laughs> games, <laughs> and so Fox in the Force is a cute little. Um, two-player trick-taking game where you deal out 13 cards to each player and then there'll be a small deck of cards that's left over. You flip over the top one that determines the, the trump suit is. And the, the cards range from values of 1 to 11 and there is um, uh, three different suits. And when... So it's just the standard trick-taking where if I play a card, the gen has to follow suit if she's able to. Now, what's really cool with Fox in the Forest, though, is that all the odd-numbered cards have some sort of effect or ability on them, which kind of really makes the, the the strategic play of when do I play these cards really unique because there's the one. If I play the one and I lose the trick, which you're probably going to do if you play the one, but yeah. you get the lead. Like you, like you, that the other person won the trick, but you again, then get the lead. Or there's the three, which means you get to change the trump suit, possibly. Or um, the five gets you to draw another card and then put one back into the draw pile. There's the seven. If you win a seven, you get a point. Um, I should forget to mention that the Fox in the Forest, you get to win points um, based on how many tricks you take. And that's the really cool thing about this one is that if you take too many tricks, you don't get any points. You bust. But if you score what is it? 10 to 13 tricks. You get to score six points. Yeah. There's a sweet spot. Yeah. But, but there's also, if you take zero to zero, zero to three tricks, you can also score six points. Yeah. And then if you're in that sweet spot, that middle range, you only get maybe like one or two points for yeah. taking that many tricks. So there's that really interesting balance is like, Oh, with my hand of cards, am I going to aim for not taking tricks this time? Am I going to aim for trying to take a lot of tricks, but not too many it's really, really quite interesting. The um, I have this game as well, and I and I absolutely have so much fun with this. And uh, what I like the most as you're playing, like you said, with all these rule breaker cards, that that all of a sudden you recognize strategies that are developing. Because there's times where I'll be playing, and then all of a sudden, you know, uh, um, uh, Ken will look at me and go. Oh man, you're dumping your cards. Like, and I'll be trying to like lose on purpose. And he's like, oh, you're dumping. Oh, and he's trying to recover by basically forcing me to win a trick, at least one of them, so that I don't, you know, have this, you know, you win no tricks, you get six points. So it's it's interesting because as far as trick taking goes, 
there's so many different rule breakers that, that let you just dance around, you know, that, that architecture of trick taking. Yeah, I like that game a lot. Yeah. And then what I just read about, too, is that I think just this past year, there is another one called Fox in the Forest Duet. You're holding it up right now, <laughs> which is the same mechanism, but apparently it's a it's a cooperative trick-taking game and i'm i'm interested in exploring what what that what that means but. okay so a couple points i can make <laughs> first kaiser exists so i don't know why there needs to be any other <laughs> trick-taking games because we're from saskatchewan and we right. grew up playing kaiser like a billion second, times and orion coke second you guys are suckers because you just need a deck of cards. You guys are buying all these unique <laughs> trick-taking games when all trick-taking games can be taken care of with a deck of cards. Yeah, but then I got to remember what the card number does. <laughs> and it's and you don't get the cute. You don't get the cutesy animal art. That's what it is. You just wanted the cutesy animal art. We're participating in the machine of the <laughs> hobby. <laughs> no, we're just suckers. Yeah, <laughs> we're absolutely. We're, no, you know what? We're lazy board gamers. It's like, give me the artwork and the rules. I'm fine. Just paint it <laughs> on. I'll, I'll, I'll give you some money for that. Absolutely. Yeah, but Ian, okay. but Ian's absolutely 100 right. You could just play this with a regular deck of cards. Oh, or just yeah. play Kaiser. Yeah, or just play Kaiser. Oh. or or hearts or spades. Or queens. Kaiser's or. dangerous, though. I mean, it's just like that whole Puerto Rico thing. If you if you're playing Kaiser with some elite level Kaiser players and you botch, oh man, there's table flipping going on from from yeah. your partner, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Apparently, apparently in my family, uh, like I we've played, and I, I'm pretty sure that I know strategies of Kaiser, but my family makes me feel dumb. <laughs> <laughs> when it oh, comes to Kaiser. Oh, man, there's like such... <laughs> Just because of Kaiser, Ryan? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's oh. hilarious. Oh, that was good. That was a good cue. With this episode of Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by Dragon's Den Games, located in the Louis VIII Mall on 8th Street in Saskatoon. Swing by Dragon's Den Games and let Darren, Al, and the awesome staff help you out in search for great board games, role-playing games, miniature systems, and all of the related accessories. Be a part of their gaming communities that have scheduled events in their great gaming area. Dragon's Den Games, Louis VIII Mall on 8th Street in Saskatoon. Yeah. It's the news! Welcome back. <laughs> I think Ryan's going to do that uh, that ancient news flash. I was going to say ticker tape, but it kind of ticker tape. Morris Cody. <laughs> Come on. Um, uh, it's news classic. topics of interest. Uh, so I've we, got one. Uh, I've got one. Ooh, ooh, we've ooh, got something me. live and we've got something pre-recorded. So let's start with the live. So I know, I know I'm not... I'm not all in the grill on this one because I, I had this game and I got rid of it because it, it just didn't scratch my itch. But you guys have something to talk about. What is yeah, it? Yeah, because as at the time of this recording, so today is June 15th, tomorrow June 16th, the Kickstarter is releasing for Terraforming Mars Big Box, which everybody's like, oh, this was, that's it. That's the big box. 
terraforming Mars news that Stronghold Games has been teasing this entire time. <laughs> I was re- I was so hoping that they were going to finally say terraforming Mars Legacy. Yes, yes. Everybody wants terraforming Mars Legacy. Stephen Bonacore, make it happen now. But we're not here to talk about legacy and what we want out of the legacy game because i'll probably play that thing like 10 times <laughs> but we're, we're, we're they're gonna be out with the big box and so what the news is you'll still once you click on the kickstarter link because you probably already paused the episode and went to go check this out all they're doing for the big box is they're releasing a box to hold all of the expansions that have been released so far with some fancy insert trays. Oh, but to grab your attention, to make you really want to get, get that acquisition disorder triggered is that they're 3D printing all of the forest and city and special tiles. You know, the so, ones that have the ones that have already been out there on like Etsy and everything yeah. like that for, for like ever. But apparently these ones are going to be like better. Am I getting the sense from the, your vocal tone that there's a sense of cash grab going on? Um, well, if you if it, if it's true, and I'll figure this out tomorrow. If I once I check, I want to actually like check it out. The rumored price point on the big box with all these special re- uh, plastic tiles and stuff like that. kind of thing, yeah. Well, no, it's not even like you're not even getting the game inside this box. You're just getting a box yeah. to hold all this stuff. $99 US. <laughs> oh, sorry, but I, I got to weigh in, man. For a box with some 3D printed tiles and some fancy yeah. insert. See, oh, and maybe, oh, and maybe like three promo cards. I was a kid when, <laughs> when Mattel came out with the Star Wars empty box and coupon Christmas gift. So... I, I'm gonna say they sucked when they did that, and I'm gonna I'm gonna call call sucked on this one too. It's ninety bucks for a cardboard box. No, hundred bucks. You missed hundred bucks. Ten. Missed by ten. So, so U.S. U.S. So Canadian. That's about three thousand dollars for no. <laughs> um, no man, that I don't know. To me, that's a that's just feeling that's like you're you're grinding people just. Because you know that the completionists will be all over. Grinding people because I mean, people will pay. I guess I don't know. This this thing is absolutely because what Terraforming Mars is the number three game. It's the number three game on BGG right now. There's a billion people that own this game, and there's going to be a lot of people that are going to like. Like I said, this thing's going to fund in like, like either I I would say within the first hour or so, this thing's going to fund. It's going to happen. People are going to pay money for it. This is also coming from the guy who like, you know, bought the scythe legendary. I, I, I've bought just a box for a game. I, the, the, the scythe legendary box. But here's the but thing. It wasn't a hundred dollars though. No, that wasn't a hundred bucks. And <laughs> scythe is one. Scythe was a game that had so many expansions that actually fitting it into the regular box was really difficult. Right. Oh, like next to impossible. Now I don't have turmoil. The t- turmoil is kind of where I, I drew the line for my terraforming Mars expansions, but all the other ones fit in the box just fine. I don't know how much more stuff turmoil has. You can maybe add to that. But for me, I don't need a big box. Everything is there. It's all in the regular box. And you don't even have an ins. You don't have an insert for it. It just fits. Yeah, it just fits. 
And so like I have the turmoil expansion and what it added is that actually it improved because well, I got the Kickstarter version, um, the double layered player boards. So like the thing. Yeah. And I ordered slide those, around. Yeah. And so the, but fitting those in no problem. It has some more tiles. It has some more boards. It has a, quite a few more cards, but I can still fit it in my, my terraforming Mars box as is without an insert. Yeah. So the, this big box is necessary. Whereas scythe that was necessary for people who wanted everything in one box. And it wasn't a hundred dollars. And it was not a hundred dollars. <laughs> That's yeah. So, I don't know. I'm and not going to tell, I'm not going to tell people how to spend their money, but uh, there's no, no way I, to do that. Then and the 3d I, tiles I, are cool, but I actually don't like them. You know what I mean? Like, I can see how somebody I, I can see how somebody would look at this because there's lots of cool little details like the lava flowing from the volcano and stuff like that. But is I, it, I is it necessary? Well, no, it's, it's is it necessary. Is it going to stop the gameplay? Right. So I don't know, but I mean, you know what? Because Ryan and I, we talked about this uh, about an episode coming down that we're working on. Is everybody wants to bling out their game, right? So. If this is how someone wants to bling out their copy of Terraforming Mars, then you know, like if like if Terraforming if Terraforming Mars is your absolutely favorite number one game of all time, and you don't have upgraded tiles or anything like that yet, then maybe this is something you want to you want to do. But I I, I don't. Okay, so that, terra, um, that Terraforming Mars big box, uh, you're gonna pass, yeah. Ryan. Uh, yeah. that, and this is coming from Mr. Like I like blinged out things and ah, there's so many other games I could buy in the meantime for a hundred bucks. You're going to click on that thing on like the last day. I know, I know it. <laughs> and there's a, there's a long pause from this no. introspective analysis going, wait, he does have a point. I, I'm my fingers no. going right to the pledge button now. No, not going to happen. You can buy 10 um, trick taking games with different artwork on them. There you go. For that price. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That was a meta of a meta of a joke. That was awesome. That was deep, that was man. Deep. Yeah. What, cool. what else have we been doing in the news? Well, um, let's use this moment to, to, for you to set up our pre recorded uh, piece. Uh, and don't give out too much because you know you're gonna you're gonna right, I, do I, the interview. Because I, I teased on the last episode, I said, "Hey, we talked about the Coded Chronicle games designed by Shen Fung Lim and uh, Jay Cromier. and I said, "Hey, we should reach out to to Jay and Shen for the um, give us some details." And so we did, down. yeah, and we did. And um, Jay wasn't able to be on the interview, but Shen was able to um, meet with us. And so, yeah, so I did a little interview with him to give us a little bit of a lowdown on the uh, the Chronicles, Coded Chronicles games that are coming out. Awesome. Listen. This episode is proudly supported by the amazing team at Breakout Escape and Board Game Lounge right here in Saskatoon. Using industry-leading technology, Breakout Escapes escape rooms are all 100% uniquely designed by the team, ensuring their patrons have maximum fun while staying safe. As well, they are a fully licensed board game lounge with over 400 titles to select from to ensure fun for every gamer new and experienced. Be sure to check them out at BreakoutSask.com. At Breakout Escapes and Game Lounge, they believe that life is more fun than play games. Thank you, Sen, for doing this. 
Oh, no problem. So uh, on our previous episode, I highlighted in our news segment that you and Jay have been working on something really that I find exciting. Okay. Because I gobble up everything that is escape room style and puzzles and all that stuff. So when I heard your team has Mm -hmm. been doing something escape room like, um, I got very excited. Well, I'm glad to hear that because we're excited too. Oh, awesome. So I guess my leading thing is going to be um, with this escape room style experience. You're calling it Coded Chronicles. Yeah. So, so I guess uh, give us a sense of what Coded Chronicles is uh, going to be like. So do you remember those games like in the 90s, maybe even in the 80s? Yeah, there were some in the 80s, uh, like Police Quest and Space Quest and oh, yeah. King's Quest. And, and then it, it evolved into like uh, Day of the Tentacle and um, games like Monkey Island and Monkey Island 2. Okay. Fate of Atlantis. So I'm talking about like point and click adventure games. Yes. Where you would point on something, click on it with your mouse, and it would tell you, you know, whether or not you could interact with something or tell you whether or not you could do something with this other thing. So you'd take something from your inventory and then you'd put it into the screen and it would say, that won't work or whatever, right? Mm. Uh, And so we've done that. A uh, very similar type of thing with our Coded Chronicles system, which is a way to basically make a point-and-click adventure in a board game style, I guess. I, guess. I mean, like that's quintessentially what it is. The idea behind it is that when you do things, you'll get a number, and then you'll go to a book, and you'll read the number, uh, the entry the number um and it's it it sounds like well that sounds simple but it's better than that uh because the entries are broken up between different characters so the first coded chronicles game that we did is scooby-doo uh and scooby-doo being my favorite thing ever like my number one um non well my number one um american or north american made animated series ever uh and i watch a lot of animated series so um, wow. Saying something is my number one is a as a pretty big deal, wow. um, and so I have um, Scooby Doo uh, was the only is the only thing in my life that has ever given me uh, a nightmare. Um, <laughs> I also <clears throat> remember um, like every every episode, so I've I've seen every single thing that is a Scooby Doo thing in the history of the world so you would be like leading expert on scooby-doo well i don't know if i'm an expert but i've seen everything <laughs> i've consumed everything to the point where it's like i i remember all the episodes i've you know remember the series past that you know what's new scooby-doo all the way to you know um mystery inc and scooby-doo and the 13th ghost and i think i've blacked out the period of time when scrappy-doo was a thing because i hate scrappy-doo <laughs> Um, but I've recently, you know, read the comic book series, which was uh, Scooby-Doo Apocalypse, which is, you know, post-apocalyptic version of Scooby-Doo. So I, I like Scooby-Doo a lot. And uh, this all goes to the story of Crotic Chronicles, of course, because when you get a number from, you know, saying, oh, let's look at this number, then you go and read the number. Oh, I should uh, 
tell you that how do you get those numbers is you move a pawn, uh, like a character, like say Shaggy or Velma or Daphne, and you take them and you move them next to the number that you want to interact with. And then they have a number on their pawn telling you what they're doing with the oh. number on the card or the number on the map. Um, okay. So just like in, <coughs> excuse me, all those point and click games, you kind of knew what to click on in a way. Finding the thing to click on was not really hard. Yeah. Uh, there are numbers on our board. Now, that doesn't mean our boards are going to always be just the numbers. Sometimes you have to look at the board itself. To, like Things that don't have numbers are very important as well. Like counting the number of whatever on the board oh. might be a thing, right? Uh, but they don't have numbers on them. So let's say you have Velma. Velma has the number one. The number one is tied to the ability to uh, probably investigate or look. I can't remember what we called it investigate because it's Velma, right? So Velma investigates this door and the door might have the number, uh, you know, three, two, three on it. So it ended up being one, three, two, three. So you turn to the book, one, three, two, three. It's Velma's book and says, hey, I see a door there. This door has a rusty doorknob. I can't seem to open it. And then you might eventually find a tool that helps you do that, right? So... Mm. All the books are written in the voice of the character. Um, so Jay and I spent a lot of time writing these things. Um, and it was the it's the nicest thing ever that ever happened to me in games. Uh, not the nicest thing, but like the, the most validating thing that's ever happened to me in board games so far was when the lawyer from Warner Brothers, who owns the rights to Scooby-Doo, said, right. so tell which episode did you um, use to make this game? None. We didn't use any episode. We made it all up. It's in our heads. But it sounded so much like a Scooby-Doo story. I don't know. Watching 7,000 episodes of Scooby-Doo might make me, again, like you said, an expert in Scooby-Doo in some in some regards. Uh, whether or not I remember all the episodes, at least I know how the episodes really work um, and, and how to write right. like, you know, this is what Shaggy should say, and this is what Scooby would say, and this is what Freddy would say. Like Freddie would Why, definitely right. say, "Okay, gang, let's go." You know, do this thing, and uh, Shaggy would say, "Well, like, I don't know, man. I don't know if that's gonna happen if we do that, right?" So all the characters have yeah. their own book, and each book is filled with every option for everything that is possibly able to be done in the game by that character. Holy smokes! Yeah, wow, so that that, that, that would be that would be a feat. That's it's a, a lot, but it's 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 it makes the game very different than say uh, an unlock or an escape, right? Right. <laughs> Which are great games in their own right. They're they're probably about you know a half the price of a Coded Chronicles game, but they also take like a quarter of the time. So our games aren't timed. Our games are meant to be experienced because we wrote the story. We want you to read the story. We want you to play the game and finish it. Uh, our games are also different in that they're not destructible. So you can just pack it back up and hand it over to, uh, you know, Norm's family. And then Norm can play the game with his Great. Uh, and we were just on a, a podcast with uh, the team from USAopoly just today about this. And USAopoly is saying, yeah, we recognize that, 
you know, that might hurt sales in some regards, but hopefully it will increase sales in other regards because we're doing this as a line, right? So that, <coughs> excuse me, if you like this and Norm likes this, then when Norm sees the next one that is for a genre that maybe his family really likes, but your family doesn't like, he'll buy that one. You might mm-hmm, not. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> the idea of it being a series of games where we're using escape room like puzzling and story, but merging it with IP based storylines and character storylines, I think is what sets it apart. Uh, because if you, like you said, are a consumer, an avid consumer of the escape style games, um, you know that as good as they are, there's not a lot of story to them. There's not no, a lot like, of, yeah. yeah. Like when I, when I, when like my wife and I play an exit game, we're not really concerned about when we flip over that card and we get, we, we solve the puzzle correctly and that card has some flavor text. That's not what we're worried about. We're like, oh no, we got to get, we're going on to the next puzzle because we're timed. Because yeah, it's timed, right? So you don't have that time. You don't have the time to absorb or enjoy the, the narrative, um, which is great. Uh, if all you want is like 45 minutes or an hour of um, straight up puzzle solving and Um, but the other thing that, that I get, and and that really as a, as a person who plays escape rooms as well when possible, uh, is that I don't like escape rooms that don't have a good story that don't have a thematic tie that make my brain say, well, why is this here? Why is there a Sudoku in the middle of an ancient ship? Yeah, exactly. Right. (laughs) So it just, it takes me out of the narrative. Um, Mm -hmm. like if it was that, I would much rather you didn't have a theme that you didn't put it in a pirate ship because it shouldn't be right. Right, Yeah. It's just like, just, just give me 10 puzzles and 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 let's go. Yeah. Uh, like in a non themed room or something like that. So I'm very much about story. Uh, story ties these puzzles together. Story gives us a reason to go on and do the next puzzle. Uh, story sure. gives us a reason to keep on playing. Story gives us a reason to remember the experience with somebody else. Remember that time in the story when you did this and they said this? Ah, oh, that was awesome. Yeah, and it's and it sounds like the way that you've developed this is that um, there could be multiple ways of getting to a like a particular story point because you said all the characters can interact with any given thing. So there could be different ways that you may be able to, you, you, you're like my experience with the game is probably going to be different than Norm's experience with the game. It can be. So it can I mean, be. Okay. There, there isn't going to be a different way to solve the puzzle, but there can be different routes to get to solve the same puzzle in the same way. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. You may read things a little bit differently. There is, there is like, there is one way to solve the puzzle. Correct path. And there's okay. one correct path through the story, but by going through different routes of the story, you're not likely going to be super penalized by doing that. Mm. There are some things like when you're solving a puzzle, if you do the wrong thing, yeah, there's a there's like a penalty. But if you are just kind of exploring around and so Shaggy, uh, <laughs> Shaggy's ability, you know, if uh, Velma has investigate and Freddie has build because he builds traps, right? And Daphne has use. Um, Shaggy has eat. 
because that's what Shaggy does. He eats. Yeah, and he could try to eat, you know, a piece of candy. He could try to eat a piano. He could try to eat a book. Um, <laughs> and you can do that. And we write all the things for all of these elements that are have been entered. So uh, my my <laughs> my uh, hope is that people enjoy the story and the hilarity of the characters as much as they do just solving this the puzzles the puzzles um you know on a scale of hard to not so hard i mean they're it's a family game this one's for families so they're not super super hard they're probably like a you know three five okay seven at the hardest this isn't like a uh burn your brain out some of them can be but if they are it's more likely that you did something weird or thought some way weird and stuck on that path do you know what i mean okay yeah like you just you you read into it a certain way and and you're not changing your mind at this particular time And and the reason why this particular puzzle uh this particular set of puzzles i wouldn't rate as like super hard is because it's meant to be a family game based on the ip right so yeah families kids would read it together and you can solve the puzzles together. Sure. Um, yeah. So that that's where that is. Yeah. So like, it sounds like you've done a really good job. Like, uh, you answered my question about like, how is this going to be different in the escape room style line of game? Because there's a million of them out there now at, at, yeah. by this point and everything. Yeah. I'm I'm really I'm really digging the the story aspect. That's what's really kind of drawing me in because my wife, as a gamer, she appreciates games that do have that narrative. Mm-hmm. behind it and so i can see her liking the like she already likes exit and unlock and all those other ones but i can see her really probably really starting to dig into this where she can like, hey, i can read something i can get into the i can get into a character kind of like how we kind of got into like time stories almost yeah yeah, yeah. it's a little yeah i would say it's a little more like time stories without the kind of grind of time stories like the oh yeah. we failed let's go do that part again that's yeah, actually that's... my least favorite part of time stories i, I know everybody's I know, least favorite part i know the uh like some of the future uh oh, so future some of the more recent um modules have ways around that i think but um i had kind of stopped playing them with the first couple of things because it's like, uh, i don't want to grind through this again yeah. just to get to where i was um yeah yeah. So you mentioned this is a, so you, like you wanted to make this as, as a line, a series. Yeah. yeah. So are there some other, like, I know um, the shining has already mm-hmm. been kind of like introduced as going to be like the yes. second one. Yes. That is in the box well in the can. Like, so it's, it's getting produced right now. Um, oh. So the, the shining is the second game of the code of Chronicle lines. And we're working on the third and fourth ones now uh, that I can't tell you exactly what they're about, but it's, let me just tell you, it's diverse. So oh. if you think that Shining and Scooby-Doo were quite diverse, diverse. now we're Wait. saying this is even more diversity in the in in the in between things of those. Um, they're very. There's a lot of options for us to do this because we can basically take any story and try to work that into our adventure system, the Coded Chronicle system. So some of them take more work than others. Um, Like the the one for The Shining was very difficult. Uh, Scooby-Doo is easy. 
because it's episodic, right? So it's just right. like making another episode that nobody ever saw. Great. If you think you saw it, I did even better, right? Oh, I remember this episode. Like, yeah, okay, you remember the episode. Um, <laughs> but The Shining was hard because that was the only thing, right? There's right. the book that we don't have rights to. There's the movie. Uh, and then there's, you know, Dr. Sleep, which is this not, this is not Dr. Sleep. Um, this is The Shining. This is distinctly the Overlook Hotel. Um, and this is distinctly that Kubrick film. So it was so hard. Gonna, so there's um, going to be things that we've seen. Oh yeah. Oh, cool. Oh yeah. Like if you're a, if you're a fan of the film, uh, we've tried to tie things in. Um, but because it is a linear film, even as wonky and weird as, you know, the film is. And um, let me tell you, um, if you are a Kubrick fan or you are a Shining fan, there are like a billion conspiracy theories about the Overlook Hotel because of the way that Kubrick shot the film. Uh, none of the rooms that you think are connected are actually connected. Like Ooh. physically. Yes, yes. Um, but people have mapped this all out and we, it, it messed Jay and I up for probably a good month. <laughs> no, seriously. Like I have, I have maps. I don't know if they're here anymore. I might've thrown them out in anger uh, because it was frustrating. I have maps where I'm cutting out things and like pasting them to other things to see, does this connect and can't be this long? How is it this long? And <clears throat> in the end, we just sort of said, okay. Uh, and we had to talk to the licensor about this, you know, our version of the, of the uh, Overlook is the version of the Overlook that we're playing in. Mm. Whether it's canon or not, they're not going to say uh, because they don't really, they don't, they don't care in the end. Um, sure. But sure, fans really over. do. Fans are, oh, oh, wow. Fans are all up in this business about, you know, you see this room? There could be a window here because on the other side, there's a hallway. So what's it looking out into? Right. <laughs> Which uh, is interesting because we were going to actually use those as parts of puzzles, uh, but we ended up doing something a little bit different. So anyway, there's some really cool stuff in The Shining. Um, what we had to do with The Shining game is because it's not an episodic series, is we took it from a very key point in the movie. Because if you've seen The Shining, which, I mean, if you haven't seen it and you're into you know, suspense, thriller, horror, what are you doing listening to this? Go watch yeah, The Shining. Go watch The Shining right now. And then come back. Um, <clears throat> but if you've seen the movie, uh, you know that probably a good 63% mm, of it, maybe 60 I like that number. Yeah, 63% of it is, <clears throat> is leading up to the really important parts of The Shining. And it's not that those 63% aren't important. It's that there's nothing active that players would want to do during that time uh, mm, in terms of gotcha. exploration or, and there's no real impetus for them to do anything because they don't know what the problem is. Uh, the other thing is in very, very much in almost any game that I make, <clears throat> I don't really let players play villains um, because, so I'm a psych teacher, right? So I have this big problem with people playing villains in a game where they're actually trying to kill people. Like mm. if it's a villain that's robbing a bank, I'm not so upset about that. But this is like a, this is Jack Torrance. This is a, a man who's trying to 
murder his wife and child. That's I don't want a player playing that. No. Uh, so instead of having like Scooby-Doo, where we have five playbooks, in this one, we really only have two major playbooks, which are Danny and Wendy. Um, and the story starts when they when Wendy drags Danny, you know, when Wendy drags Jack, sorry, into the pantry. And that's oh, where the story okay. starts. Uh, so that classic scene uh, where they're talking between the door. And then the game begins. So all the stuff before that, which is really just exposition, right, doesn't really uh, take place, but it impacts in some ways. Or or we call back to it. Like we talk about, you know, trying to call the ranger station all the time, you know, because she Mm. did that many, many times and then goes and finds that, okay, how do I use this thing? It's broken, right? So we we, uh, make up for things that you don't see in the movie. Like in the movie... Um, you know the the radio is broken, the snowcat is broken. All these things are broken, but uh, well, what would happen if you fix those things, right? Or how would what would the puzzle be about that? So we're using all the elements of the story that uh, you know Kubrick told from King to make puzzles out of that. Um, wow! And then we take it off full supernatural bent as well um and we use the shining and the ghosts of the kids the two sisters um who aren't twins by the way uh we use them an awful lot you know dick halloran uh comes in and talks and all all sorts of interesting things where uh, i think fans of the shining are going to kind of see this other side of things right so it's almost like a, not a reimagining, but a, a like extra these extra bits, these extra scenes. Yeah, it's cool. it doesn't it it so uh, imagine and I use this in storytelling all the time. Imagine if you had a starting point, which was you know here's the pantry, and then an end point. Jack's in the you know, maze, frozen. What happens in between here? Yeah, it could have been anybody's guess. Um. But things that don't happen in the movie don't happen in the story, right? Things that okay, happen yeah. in the movie happen in the story. That that's that's kind of how we had to do it. Um, so you will never like outright kill Jack. You can't. That sounds like an easy solution to a problem, but yeah, you're never. That's not that's not the way the story is supposed to play out. Exactly right. Um, and you know, um, things that do happen in the thing like. Jack smashing through the, the door, that happens. Mm-hmm. Right? But how does it happen? And how does that become a puzzle to solve? And so there's lots of lots of hallmarks. We call them like uh, set pieces in our games. They they have to happen. They yeah. have to be there. Like if you're if you're playing The Shining, uh, tell me something you think should be in the game, and I'll tell you if it's there. Uh, like the the hallway of blood. Yes, so the hallway of blood is in there. It's 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 actually not much of a thing because a lot of the stuff that we talked about, um, it's so how would that change the game? How would mm-hmm. because it was really a vision, right? So yeah. that type of stuff is like how does that become a game set piece? It definitely is a set piece, and it's definitely in the game. But how does it become? something that's part of a puzzle so um i i will admit that we did not do a great job with that one 
but that is in the it is in the game. Um, other things that are in the game that you might remember from the movie are things like, um, you know, uh, let me think, let me think, let me think. Trying to think here. Norm, do you have one? He's muted. Well, he is muted. <laughs> but if you have one, let me know. What do you think? The um, the whole concept of red rum. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. Oh, right. Red yeah. rum. Yeah. There, uh, there's, we actually tried to work that in even more, uh, but it got really weird. So, um, <laughs> he, there, he, there is like a lot more talking with Tony, um, a lot more of, of that, uh, a lot more of like using the shining, uh, because it's a really great, um, tool as a story writer to have the supernatural involved. So, the idea of, uh, you know, rever- things that are reversed. We had this whole idea. We had th- we had this I- concept that we wanted to bring into the game where we were thinking, you know, if there's mirrors in the room, then you have to use the opposite numbers to get in. But it just got way too confusing for people. So, <laughs> um, But mirrors are definitely in there. And mirrors are a thing. Uh, there's all sorts of, of, of little, like, callbacks and, and um, love letters, basically little love letters to the movie all through it. Um, so, yeah. This this whole concept has got me really juiced up now. Yeah. I really want to play this now. That, that this this deep, this narrative and these, like you say, these callbacks, even when you're talking about like Scooby-Doo, you're making it feel like a Scooby-Doo episode. and Yeah, it, it feels exactly like a scooby episode. Like right up to the very end. Right where <laughs> things happen. So, so whose um, so whose idea was it for The Shining? Not ours. We don't. Oh, that, pick, was, oh, that wasn't yours. Okay. We don't. We don't pick any of the licenses ever. Oh, okay. Uh, they give us the licenses to work with. They say, "Would you like to do this?" And we say, "Yes." Um, the they just happen to hit on our like as Jay and I are collective, us I guess. Uh, they hit on our favorite, you know, childhood cartoon. And our favorite, um, you know, horror suspense film. Awesome. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. It's good talking oh, to you guys. This was fun. Excellent. Yeah. So, so that, give me a call anytime and we'll, we'll chit chat. That sounds good. I'll send out, I'll send out the email. And uh, once we get it, we'll All do right. the, we'll do, we'll do the follow-up. Yeah. And hopefully Jay will be available. So that'd be great. Yep. We got the whole time zone thing. <laughs> backwards damn saskatchewan uh, <laughs> all right then. yeah all right. all right cool okay. we'll talk to you later thank you very much no problem bye-bye this episode is proudly supported by mr dice guy online board game retailer located right here in saskatoon mr dice guy is always stocking the hot new titles as well as restocking all-time favorites they even have a ding and dent section for previously played titles. They offer free shipping across Canada on all orders over $200 or free local pickup if you're in the Saskatoon area. Check them out at MrDiceGuy.com. Saskatoon's Mr. Nice Guy is Mr. Dice Guy. <laughs> all right, welcome back. We are going to talk about some specific games right now. 
And um, uh, I'm going to I'm going to offer this out. Anybody want to take lead on this? You want to go? You go. There you go. <laughs> Ryan, I, I know that it was a shtick in the intro, but I, I, I don't want to review this game ever because I can never pronounce it. So you, you, you go right ahead. Sure. So um, I want to talk about a game that <laughs> I'm just going to dodge the I'm going to dodge the name as much as possible. But um, it's a game that I've been playing a lot lately on Board Game Arena. Sorry, I missed the title. What's the What's the title of this game again? I am going to be reviewing. <laughs> <laughs> Stop with the shenanigans. <laughs> Teotihuacan, City of Gods. Did I get it? Oh, good. Uh, designed by Daniel Tessini. Ooh, one of the one of my favorite um, designers. Uh, published by NSKN Games, and it came out. Oh, what did it come out? It came out like last year, I think, 2019-2018. And so it's already a couple years old. But Teotihuacan is the. Um, a lot of people will call it the spiritual successor to um, one of Ian's favorite games that like to play um, Zolkin, the Mayan calendar. Yeah. And so there's a lot of similarities. I'm going to get to those similarities, um, but it also play it, but it plays quite a bit differently than, than Zolkin, the Mayan calendar. So in Teotihuacan, I'm just going to do the little brief overview here. The nuts and is, bolts. Is a, Travel back in time to the greatest city in Mesoamerica. Witness the glory in the twilight of the powerful pre-Columbian civilization. Strategize, accrue wealth, gain the favor of the gods, and become the builder of the magnificent Pyramid of the Sun. Which apparently is what Teotihuacan means. (laughs) I I learned that. You're, You're dancing with that name now. So in Teotihuacan, so how do you... so? I'm going to be corrected so many times. I think Normie's the mute as Mike. <laughs> no, because the laughter is awesome. Sorry. So in this, I'm just going to start saying in this game. <laughs> in this game, what you're going to be doing is you're going to be taking um, one of eight actions. There's eight actions across uh, around the edge of this of this player board, of the sorry of the game board, and in the middle of the player board uh, is the is, is the pyramid. There's actually these nice, big, thick wooden tiles that will be eventually forming a pyramid. And what you're going to be doing is you're, it's, it's a dice worker placement game, but in the sense of the um, dice not being rolled, they're just kind of there to track the, um, the experience of your workers. So you start off with level one workers, so all your dice are set to level one. And through certain actions, you'll level up your workers to a two, to a three, to a four, to allow you to take more powerful actions to eventually, once it gets to a six, then your worker is so experienced that it's going to ascend. And what ascension does is that uh, that worker now passes away. You get some sort of bonuses. There's some bonuses you can claim for um, ascension. And then you get that dice back as a level one worker back at the very beginning of the player track and so what you're going to be wanting to do is that uh across these eight actions there's three resource gathering actions there's wood stone and gold typically what these um games like to like to have um then there's also a uh 
pyramid building action. There is um, pyramid decorating action. There's uh, contributing and building to the Avenue of the Dead. And then there's also like there's some technology tiles that you can um, acquire and other uh, other actions. So what you're going to be trying to do is score the most points. And by how do you score the, all these points is what you really want to do is that you really want to do is contribute to building the temple. Building the temple contributes lots of points in this in this game. But there's also certain technologies that when you um, you have those technologies, um, they'll grant you some bonus points for some actions that you take. There is a uh, uh, end of game scoring that if you there's three temple tracks, much like in Zulkin, there's three temples. There's some temple tracks that you can uh, climb up. And at the tops of those tracks, there are some end of game scoring conditions like say. Uh, one of the end of game scoring conditions is get uh, nine points per um, technology tile that you've contributed to, or one is just score 15 points, or one is score this many points for however many things that you've built. And just um, to clarify, your goal is to get the most points. Most right? points. That's what yes. you said? Okay. Yeah. Euro through and through. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I must say about these uh, temple tracks, too, is that as you ascend on these temple tracks, um, one temple is for just gets, gets you points. There's the points again. So um, lower levels get you one point per step. Then there's two points per step, three points per step. There's another temple track that allows you to get resources. So like as you go up there, you can get wood, stone, gold. And then there's another temple deck that as you go up there, you get cocoa. And cocoa is your main currency in this game. Much like corn was the currency in Zolkin, cocoa is the currency in Teotihuacan. Now, when you use your workers, you can take your worker and you can move it one, two, or three spaces. And when you move it one, two, or three spaces, what you're actually going to do is when you, before you set down your worker, you're going to decide, am I going to take the main action of the tile? Am I going to just gain cocoa or am I going to lock it away into a, what's called a worship spot? And I'll explain what worshiping does later. So if I want to pay, if I want to do the main action, what I actually got to do though, is I got to consider how many different people are already on that tile. If there's already been two other players on that tile, I have to pay two cocoa in order to take the action. If I want to collect cocoa, though, if I don't have enough cocoa to take the action, I can collect cocoa, which means I take a look at how many players are on that tile, and I collect one more cocoa than however many uh, players are already on that tile. So if there's already two players there, I would collect three cocoa. And then the last thing I said you could do is you could um, do a uh, worship action, which means you can ascend on one of the temple tracks, and then there's these little other um, bonus tiles that you can collect and they give you a whole variety of different things. Like they give you some special powers that you can do, or there's some set collecting that you can do a lot of different neat things that these little tiles can, uh, can do for you. So what you're going to do into talking here is that you're going to do this. You're going to go around the table so many times. And every time that it comes to the last player, um, there's the, the, the round marker is going to go down one spot. And what this is doing is it's tracking this eclipse. 
And so the eclipse tracks how long a round is going to be. And so every time it passes by the, the last player, it's going to ascend and keep going, keep going, keep going until it actually reaches this end of um, the round spot, which then you'll do some end of round scoring, much in like Teot and Zolkin. And then you're going to do this three times. You're going to go through three rounds. What's neat, though, is that when you do that ascension thing, when your dice worker gets to a six, the ascension, that eclipse um, round tracker is actually going to move forward more than what it would do uh, on a normal on a normal turn. So um, if you're paying attention, if somebody's going to upgrading the workers to sixes, that end of round is going to come a lot faster than what you probably were normally playing uh, planning for. If Board Game Arena has taught me anything about this game, is that I suck at it. I, I, I'm, 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 getting, I'm getting a little bit better at Zolkin. Like Zolkin, I can actually see the gears and where I'm going to want to take my actions. I'm finding it a lot harder in, in, in Teotihuacan. And I know the temple tracks are very important in Zolkin too for getting some um, end of round um, scoring. They are hugely important in Teotihuacan. Like if you're not going for at least one or two of those, um, getting to the top of one or two temples, you're playing bad in this game. So, okay, I there there and I've only just scratched the server. There's so many different <laughs> combos. I'm just uh, getting this sense that this, this is one of those the, one of those games where you got to play key. The the more you play, the better you get. Yeah. The yeah. one thing I forgot to mention about when you're moving your dice around. Um, the more of your colored dice that are on a spot, the more powerful the action can be. Cool. So if I have three dice on, if I take my one guy and I have three dice on the action spot, I'm going to get a really powerful action as opposed to if I just only just had one dice on a, on a particular location. Cool. Cool. You ready for so, some opinions, man? Sure. So in the traditional going outside in the box, and the box art here. So this is your standard like ticket to ride size um, Euro box. And it's got some gorgeous, um, that, that what they say, that Meso Mesoamerican artwork. Yeah. I'm looking art. at the, I'm looking at a, a image of the cover and yeah, it's definitely got its theme down. And that's for sure. And the components are your standard, like your wooden resource components. But what really makes this game pop on the table is that center pyramid that you're building. And I forgot to mention about the pyramid. There's a little bit of a, a spatial puzzle thing going on. Whereas when you go to, there's these symbols that are mm -hmm. on the, uh, on the tiles. But when you go to place down a pyramid tile from the pyramid building action, um, if you're able to match up the, the, the symbols on where you're going to place the tile, you get some bonus points. Cool. And, so there's a kind of like a neat little way that you can score some bonus points by building up the temple. And I guess I should also say too, after it, this game can end after three rounds or in a more typically in a three and four player game, what could possibly happen is that the bit that the temple gets built completely and that will end the game immediately. Once the temple's completely built, there's, there's nothing left to do in the game really. And yeah, so the, the table presence of this game is is gorgeous. Um, from the art to the tiles, every, it, it's very it's a very well produced uh, game. Right I, on. I, I'm, I'm, I must say, right on. Rulebook is very good. It's a it's quite lengthy, but that's that that that's a good that's a good thing here because 
there's a lot going on. And it does very good job of explaining all the different types of actions, what happens on your action. Um, there's actually a really good, um, this will peak Norm's interest. There's a really cool solo mode in the game yeah. too. Um, and that's developed by David Turksey, who does lots of different solo modes for different, he designs uh, solo modes for different games. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so rule book is very good. Very clean. There's no, there's no wasted space. It's text and pictures. <laughs> Tight. It's, it's text, pictures, and examples. It's very, very, very well done. Right on. Okay. So let's get to my thoughts about this game. And what I'm going to do here is I'm pretty much, I'm going to be comparing it to Zolkin because that's what everybody's going to compare this to because it is known as the spiritual successor to Zolkin. What this is kind of doing is it's, Zulkin had the had the time mechanism of the of the gears. You place her down your worker and you let them sit on the gears while it moves around, and then eventually you're going to take the worker off to perform the action. Here, the time mechanism is moving your dice around the board and eventually upgrading them and giving them experience until they get to a certain level. So it's a much different time mechanism used here than in than say like Zulkin. This game takes a lot longer to play than Zulkin. And this one has, uh, I, I think in Zulkin, I get AP. Like I can sit there and stare at the board for a while. But uh, here, man, there's so many different options what you can do with your dice. And depending on where your dice are located, um, moving one, two, or three spaces. And do I, use, do I lock in my dice? Because when I lock it into a worship spot, I can't move that dice anymore. It's stuck there until I have to actually use an action and spend some cocoa to move him again. And around and around they go. Oh, it it's a beautiful puzzle. Zulkin's it's also so, a beautiful puzzle. But sounds like it rewards efficiency. This one definitely like okay, so I've already played this game like what? I think I've played it already 10 times on board game arena, and I've lost all 10 games absolutely horribly. <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten but did better. You learn? I've gotten better at every game, but I just always seem there's always seemed to be another player that she says, "Oh man, he's beautiful minding all of the moves and his dice are just in the right spots and cool." But so do I do I would I like this game better? Do I like this game better than Zolkin? I think I like Zolkin still better. It's I think it's a cleaner, but this game is it's it's a different beast on its own. That's an interesting uh, conclusion. Okay, yeah. It, it 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 it's a different piece. I own both Zolkin and Teotihuacan. Um, I will play them in different circumstances. All right. Um, I don't even know if that, if that if that even makes sense. Like I I like I like playing it. Like well I if I if I had to choose between them, I probably play Zolkin. But um. I don't know, but Teotihuacan just keeps making me want to come back. But mainly because I haven't figured it out yet. Like, I think that I've got it figured out, but then I'm just, I keep playing. And I'm like, man, I'm I'm just not efficient with my actions yet, <sighs> and I just want to, and I and I want to get there. Whereas Zolkin, I'm starting to get to the point where I'm like, okay, I've got my plan. I know how to execute my plan. Um, I'm going to try to do it to the best of my ability. Teotihuacan, I still haven't figured that out, and I think that's why mm. I keep coming back to it. 
some people would then say like, I've made these comparisons. Is it worth owning both? Like I own both. Is it worth owning both? And they are completely different games. Um, gameplay wise, even though they're made by the same designer and they have very similar themes and may look similar in nature, they do play out quite a bit differently. Whereas in one, you might understand the mechanism better. The other one might be just like, oh, it's a time crunch. I have no idea what I want to do. Okay. Are we ready for my, what shelf is this on? What shelf is this game sitting on? You can even, you can even put it in the context of the shelf that Sulkin is sitting on. Well, it actually is on the same shelf as Zolkin is sitting <laughs> because I got I got this very similar themed games all clumped together. So physically, it's on the same shelf as Zolkin, but in the rating scale, I would put this below Zolkin. Zolkin is a very top shelf worthy game. This one I'm going to put on the middle shelf. All right, it, it's still worth owning. It's it's a, a different beast of its own. Um, it's definitely not going to get traded anywhere because I. I haven't figured it out yet. I still need to play it more. It's compelling. Because I'll tell you the game too, because my wife, Jen, doesn't really like heavy games. This is a quite a bit of a heavier game. I taught this to her, and on our on her learning game, she beat me. <laughs> but isn't that the rule for teaching a game is that you can't? No, I, I, I was trying. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm, I got this strategy figured. I'm going to try doing this now. Try to make these things combo together and make them more efficient. And then Jen's like, well, I'm just going to keep doing this because this scores a lot of points. And then she ended up winning. Though I've tried that strategy before and it never paid off for me. <laughs> so I think I'm just not good at this game. <laughs> Jen, Jen, Jen's very good at figuring out strategies. And just by me explaining, I was trying to do the teach because like this is one of those teaches where it takes a long time because you have to go through all the little nuances because you're like, you can do this and you can do this. And this is what's, these are all the different things to score your points. Jen's always just like, let's just start playing. Yeah. Just, just explain it to me while I start playing. And I'm like, but you got to understand how this, she's like, I'll figure it out while I'm waiting. And she figured it out way before me. Uh, <laughs> and you know, you know, it's really good when she takes the rule book and she starts reading something and she hasn't asked you the question. She just takes the rule book and starts reading it. That means you're in what? trouble. And I'm like, well, well, what do you have a question on? Nothing. And then puts it aside and we're like, oh, yeah. means she's got something <laughs> planned. So cool. Tail to walk. Do you hear me say it for one last time? Tail to walk in middle shelf. Middle shelf. Awesome. Um, uh, Ian, do you want to take the take the range? Sure. Or do you want me to? Okay, go ahead. Okay. Okay. So my game is Viva Java. So this is designed by TC Petty the third. And TC. Dice Hate Me Games. Uh, it came out in 2012, I believe. It uh, plays five to eight. The box says three to eight. I'll talk about that. <laughs> and it takes about an hour to play. I wouldn't say any more than an hour usually. So this is a game about coffee. So I love coffee. I love coffee. There we go. Norma's drinking coffee. I was drinking <laughs> coffee. That's why I couldn't respond. There we go. So it's a game about coffee. Your goal is to make coffee blends. So what you are is you're a group of field researchers traveling the world to create the best coffee blends. The most traveled and resourceful employees will gain a gratuitous promotion and a chance to retire with a lifetime supply of coffee. That's the... 
that's the rundown from the book. But <laughs> what you're trying to do is make the best blends based on different colors of coffee beans that you kind of throw into the mix. And the best blends go into the market and you're trying to keep them in the market for as long as you can, because as long as they're in the market, they're going to keep scoring you points every turn. But better blends will come in and they'll your blend will kind of lose luster after a while and eventually it's going to get kicked off the market. So you want to keep getting as many as you can in there to see if they can last as long as they can. Um, there's a really cool mechanism here where you collect these little coffee beans and you put them into roasters, which are little drawstring bags. And any coffee beans you collect through the game, you throw in there. And when you're going to make your blend, you have to pull coffee beans. You're, you're going to make a blend of five coffee beans and you have to pull them from your bag without looking Right. So you have to try to hope you get the best combination of beans you can from the roasters. Now, the unique or interesting mechanism here is the idea that you actually temporarily team up with other players each turn. But once that turn is over, your partnership is over. You just need to partner with them to make a blend. You can't. Well, there are some certain circumstances you can make it on your own but usually you never blend by yourself you make a coffee with somebody else and this is awesome because what it this adds the interaction into the game because you're depending on where a continent you travel to to make your coffee blends whoever goes to that continent with you you guys have the opportunity to blend together and you all have to contribute um, and you're just pulling these beans out of the bag. And basically what you're trying to do is get, <laughs> it really comes down to like poker hands, right? So mm-hmm. um, five of one color is the best you can get or four and one or a full house, right? So you're trying to get the best you can. And so depending on what you, the beans you've got and what the beans they've got, you know, you can make a decision. Do we have a good chance of making something good here or not? Or you could be a jerk and completely lie to what <laughs> what you say they've got and sabotage them. But that takes a little bit more uh, nuance to it. That's kind of bitter, isn't it? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. It's it a coffee happened. joke. It's a coffee joke. <laughs> yeah, I see what you did there. <laughs> so, and what you're... And so, yeah, so what you're trying to do is team up with people, make blends, send them to the market, and get points. Uh, there's little bit more to it than that so there's things like research actions and research tracks that help you just do things better so for example it can help you pull beans and you can actually put one back if it's not the one you wanted to pull Um, it can help you you can actually invest in other people's blends so that you score the points as well without having to have contributed there's a lot of cool little things like that but that's essentially the game um I think it's great. The box art is really cool. It's got a little coffee tin on it, and I love the box art. I think it's very thematic. I like the uh, I like the retro fifties look of the label of the of the coffee. Oh yeah, yeah, Yeah. it's great. Yeah, yeah. The the artwork in this is generally pretty awesome. The coffee blends that you make are these little cardboard slates, and they've got little artworks and clever little names to them. Um. Oh, yeah, it's really good. The coffee beans are basically little 
they look like little coffee beans. <laughs> There's something I got to point out. There's red. They're all different colors, but there's red and brown, and they are almost identical. <laughs> so that always bugs people when we play because it's really hard to tell them apart, especially if you've got like kind of low lighting in your game room. Or you'd got- be like me, or you'd be like me and say, "Yeah, I've got a whole bunch of brown in my bag," and I start drawing them out, and I'm like, "Oh wait, they're red. Sorry." Yep. <laughs> no, you told me that they were brown. That happened yeah, that last could time be a little played. <laughs> yep cool uh, yeah the draw they've got drawstring bags so everybody gets those drawstring bags and so that's your coffee roaster um where you collect all your beans that's that's a pretty cool component as well i just think all around it looks awesome right there's a couple of fold-out boards but the graphic design here just fits it, it really evokes the theme really well um the rule book is really good it's got lots of visuals so everything that it's explaining it's also showing which is really nice convenient yeah 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 it's really good um there is so like i said before it's really a five to eight player game there you can play with three or four players but that kind of adds these helper cards into the mix and I don't know what you guys think. My personal opinion, when you're trying to stretch your player limits, if you've got to add something really extra like that. I was just thinking that, yeah. It's not worth it, right? That's it's not my designed opinion. properly, you know? yeah. So, like, if you're adding a dummy player, for example, to make a two-player game work, uh, I don't know. if it, I would. Well, I just wouldn't bother playing and it. And you know but. what? That, 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 to me, just leads into another kind of potential topic discussion of, of when you design a game, don't don't try and tell me that it's two to six players when it should only be four and five players, just because you want to try and sell more copies, right? Yeah. So, but that's something completely different. Yeah, that's right. They didn't put one to two, one or two players, though. They I think they saw <laughs> that that's just stretching it way too far. Um, there are lots of elements of other games, so that you know, there's the idea of filling orders, which comes up a lot, right? In in games. Yeah. Uh, the tech tracks is something that we see a lot, but the, the interaction and the team up aspect of this, that's what makes all these things feel different because it's almost like they're all going all happening for different reasons. Right. So the filling orders, yeah. well, you both have to do it. You both have to contribute to that um, without necessarily knowing what the other person's got. All right. They, you can ask them, but there's, <laughs> there's no guarantee they're telling the truth. Um and the randomness of the roaster bag also kind of adds some some more interesting ideas to there as well. So you've really got to manage your roaster bags well. That's a other really awesome thing. I would say this game is really cool because there's not a lot of like Euro strategy games that can actually play well with eight players. Mm-hmm. But this game does really well with the more people because A, that mixes up who you work with every turn, right? Um, you can have two or three people trying to make a blend together, and that's pretty cool. You're trying to try to yeah, make yeah. that all work. But then the next turn, you can be with completely other people. And it's so it it's really awesome. That fits in kind of a rare niche in a game collection. Like Seven Wonders is a Euro game that plays up to seven players. That has a high player count. 
as well. This is quite a bit different, especially because of that team up aspect. Well, it so doesn't sound, think- yeah, it's, it's this dynamic synergy. I, I'm, I'm, right. I've, I got the dice game. I don't have the, the, the original game and that's not found in the dice game, at least from oh, really? my solo experience. Yeah. So I am so intrigued in this idea that there's this, every, there's this dynamic synergy that has to exist with the creating of the blends. Yeah. yeah it's cool. Yeah, I think that's what makes it really work. Uh, this is kind of my hidden gem game because I don't know how popular it ended up being. But I remember once I saw a coffee game and I looked into this, I was like, I want that. And I got it specially <laughs> ordered in for me. Um, nice. But it's a game I think needs more love. I I just I just think it's so cool and it's so unique. Like I I haven't really played a lot of other games that have that that type of interaction so I love it. Um, I don't. I don't know if I'd call it top shelf. Maybe second from the top. Can we say that? Can that be my rating? Second from well, the top. That's where it, we're at. It all depends on how many shelves your 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 shelf has. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's awesome. I mean, yeah. I, like I said, the the I have the dice version and uh, all the the positive check marks that you described. Uh, um, are the same for the dice game. So yeah, everything everything follows suit. Yeah, yeah. This, is a, this, this has been a really cool game. I remember the first time we've played it um, with with Ian and Kim there, and yeah, I, I you nailed it on the head there, Ian. It's the interaction. The, mm-hmm. There's there's not too many really well implemented um, Euro games that have that interaction and the the potential camaraderie between players. And then now the next turn, you are not my comrade anymore. Now I have to pair up with somebody else. Now I have to pair up with the lead, the the person who's in the lead with points. And I don't want him to get any more points, but I also want, but there's also, I forgot to mention, there's a voting aspect to that too, right? You vote amongst the people that you're in your little group with on whether to actually blend or not. And so you can mess up somebody by messing up the vote, right? And say, oh yeah, yeah, we'll blend this turn. Nope. <laughs> I lied to you. <laughs> yeah, you I for- thought they I were all brown. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I forgot about the voting aspect. Yeah. That, okay. Yeah. yeah. This is yeah, just the interact being being able to interact, the bag building of the beans is really is really cool too. Kind of gives you that kind of like that Orleans type of feeling. But this oh, was nice. this came out this came out before Orleans. I, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty sure of, but and new players will probably just try to collect as many coffee beans as they possibly can. But really, the trick is like trying to keep it svelte, trying to trying to minimize how many different ones you've got in there. Cool, that's kind of where that's at. Yeah, but yeah, I I love Viva Java. Uh, check it out. All right. Well, if you if you can find it, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I get uh, I get to wrap this up. Um, uh, I I'm had mentioned this game before uh, when we were doing uh, games of late, and uh, this is uh, horrified by designed by Prospero Hall, published by Ravensburger in 2019. It plays one to five players. Let's get into the nuts and bolts of this game. Um, so as the as the box. 
um, uh, says, A city screams in terror, a cooperative game against the world's most famous monsters. The village is under attack. Dracula, the mummy, Frankenstein's monster, his bride, and more are on the rampage, and your team of heroes must defeat them. Each monster offers an entirely unique challenge, and players can adjust the difficulty by, pl by playing against a new group of adversaries every game. Overcome them all before the horror overwhelms you. So, in Horrified, as it, as it was uh, beautifully pointed out in the, uh, in the overview, um, uh, you basically are trying to um, uh, defeat the monsters, the universal picture, famous universal picture monsters uh, of the old black and white genre from way back. Um, uh, you're trying to get rid of them. So, the there's several like every good co-op game there's different difficulty levels so there's you either start off with two the normal is you have three monsters or uh, the challenge level is you have four monsters and of course i am not one to shy away from too much um i immediately went after the four monster and got handed it to me but we'll get back to that um so basically, it's your typical cooperative game where you have a certain amount, depending on the character that you select, you have a certain amount of, of action points. So um, on your action points, you are able to do, so on your turn, you are able to do, um, you either move, because there's this map of the village, and I'll get, when I talk about the... Uh, the um the components i'll get more into into what i really think about this 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 uh the, the board itself but you move you guide one of the villagers because that's as i'll get into that part uh villagers come out as part of the mechanism of this game uh you pick up items like every good co-op there there's uh uh resources that make the machine work uh, you can share if you're if you're multiplayer. You can share these items. Uh, these items contribute to advancing the tasks or advancing how you defeat the monsters. And I'll explain quickly explain that when I get into a little bit more detail on the monsters. Um, you can defeat the monster itself, uh, or you can take a special action depending on your character itself. Some characters have special actions where the thematic nature of their character will allow them to appear certain areas or allow them to uh, uh, basically the rule breakers, like every good uh, uh, cooperative game, each character is a little different because of the way that they can break the rules of the game. So that being said, those are your actions on the hero phase. Um, as in, and, and again, this game beautifully, <coughs> pardon me, beautifully follows um I would say the social contract established already in cooperative games that there's a recipe. You start your turn. There, uh, you you um, after you do your turn, you do the monster's turn. Then you draw an events card. Then you create that finishing dynamic of the board change on your turn. Then you hand it off to the next player who goes through that recipe list. So on the monster phase. Um, you basically draw a monster card, and it's the monster cards that are interestingly, I would say, probably the transmission that makes this engine work the best. Because on the top of the monster card, you'll have a number of how many items 
that you populate the board with. And it's these items that you use to defeat the monsters and take care of all the puzzles. So these are the integral resources in the game. And there's three different colors. There's red, there's blue, and there's yellow. And thematically, they follow their own kind of uh, um, uh, uh, thematic nature in regards to stuff that you find in the barn will be barn tools. Certain barn tools, if it's a red weapon, will have... Uh, you know, if it's an axe, then it will have a value on how efficient that weapon is. And the values of these items will range from one to, I believe the most powerful is five. That comes into effect on the certain, on the different ways that you can defeat these monsters, because sometimes you might just use red resources and you have to have a number above a certain limit to either affect or defeat the monster. So that's how these uh, uh, resources that populate the board. So the next thing on the monster card is you either have a um, special action of a particular monster or um, you have um, what is called the villagers. And the villagers are the cool part because they, <laughs> they either, they're one of these mechanisms that help you and hurt you at the same time. The villagers appear on the monster card randomly. And what you have to do is find them at the location they appear at and help guide them back to their safe spot. If you successfully guide them back amongst your, you know, uh, with all the actions that you do, if you uh, successfully guide them back to their home space, you get what's called a perk card. And these perk cards are once again, these rule breakers that give you these bonuses that are the tipping point that allow you to, uh, you know, it's that one, oh, if I had that one last chance. These, these cards are the tipping point of you successfully accomplishing, uh, uh, you know, a, a win in this game or being defeated, um, as will so happen in this game. Um, and then, of course, on the bottom of the card is uh, the monster movement and the attack movement. So, um, the the monster card itself is, like I said, the transmission that drives the game. It will be that that um, board changing scenario that will create the tactical choices for the next player. I hope I got into that whole system pretty straightforward. Um, the the I can get into the 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 fighting. Um, later, later on, when I'm talking about my conclusions about about the game or my opinions about the game, but um, so far, that's how the game operates. Now, to how you win the game is basically you kill the monsters, and um, as in every good uh, um, uh, co-op game, the, the yeah, there's one way to win, and there's a whole bunch of ways you can lose the game. You can lose the game if your terror track, right? hits a certain max number now with the with the visitors or the villagers i mean the i didn't mention the negative thing the positive thing if you get them back to their home space you get a perk card the negative thing is if a monster gets to them and kills them it ups your terror track right um and like that reminds every, me a lot of flashpoint i have not played that but i've heard that in a, a lot of other reviewers uh, uh, how the co-op mechanism or the engine works in this in this event structure. Yeah. The uh, the other one is that you're out of time. You the monster deck runs out, right? Um, so there, the, there's 
so many different ways to lose one way to win, which is your, your typical script for a co-op game. Now, let's go back to our beautiful rundown script. Um, that's how you win. How you Not necessarily how you win. That's how you lose. If you win, it's because you successfully um, and, and, and uh, tactfully uh, solve this puzzle as it organically develops. Now, uh, opinions. The, from outside in, as we always say, the box art, first impressions. Um, the, the, the Prospero Hall Ravensburger series of these games, of these IP-specific games that are coming out, are coming in a standard, I think it's like a 10 by 10 by 2 inch box, a little smaller um, than the, your typical Ticket to Ride box, but that same scale, right? Just kind of a, a, a medium version, right? Um, the box art is so classic universal monsters it gives me flashbacks of when i was a kid creature from the black lagoon the werewolf uh, the invisible man uh, the mummy dracula the the uh, the the frankenstein couple mr and mrs um the uh and now uh, uh going into as i say the components um this is what i really like about this game and i'm and i, I can't wait to compare it to the other uh games in this series but the cardboard reminds me of the uh like orleans that that has a nice thick cardboard they did not cheap out and get flimsy cards flimsy cardboard they didn't get the most expensive right um because the price point of this game is a nice sweet spot but they got the the cards are great the 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 cardboard thickness they use is awesome the board is fantastic the um, the players that you use are all standees. The villagers are standees, but the monsters are the minis, and I can't wait to paint them. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Now, each monster comes with a very unique monster board that has a very unique way to defeat this monster. And I think the best thing I loved so far about, uh, and again, I'm kind of getting into conclusions, but was was uh, learning how each of these different monsters uh, operated on its own and watching in the game how not purposefully but how there was a synchronicity of how they beat the snot out of you right i mean just the how that mechanism worked with certain monsters work so well together and other monsters kind of clash right um so the components are fantastic for 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 the price point of this game the rule book is uh, what you'd expect of, of a game that is designed for a family market kind of game. It reads well. Uh, it's, it's got great, as far as the graphic arts go, the background, foreground. You're able to, to read the, the words properly. There's not, too many, there's not too much confusion, right? There's no visual confusion as far as, as, far as my teacher um, brain goes, right? Um, they used color in the right way, bold color when you wanted to be attracted to certain parts in the game for the examples and so on and so forth. So I, I love the rule book. The rule book's great. Uh, the game system and style, I believe I've already talked about that um, very, as I said, that social contract we have with cooperative games that, that it's basically each player's recipe, right? Here's your actions. Here's, here's here how many actions you have. Here's what you can do. Now it's the, the game's, ne now it's the nemesis's turn. And then uh, now we have to uh, introduce a chaotic element to this, the game state 
and then it's the next player's turn, right? Um, we're great. Awesome. The unique mechanism of this game, as far as the game itself and the system, there's nothing unique about it except for the fact that the IP is the uniqueness that caught me and drew me to this game because of my nostalgia for this 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 IP, right? The I mean, I grew up with the Universal Mod. Now, again, I, I might be showing my age, but there's an homage in the villagers. There's a duo that looks very much like Abbott and Costello. Nice. Right? <laughs> so for those who know what I'm talking about is <laughs> right. That whole that whole shtick. I mean, right away. It drew me right. That's the uniqueness I have of this uh, for, uh, and it's not a mechanism unless you want to call the theme a mechanism. And sometimes it is. Does this all connect? Yeah, I had a blast. Right. I mean, it was you were you were trying to do the old black and white films, Abbott and Costello chasing the monsters out of town, trying to f- solve this unique problem um, that changes every turn. Um. Time for some conclusions. You guys ready for some conclusions? Sure. I, yeah. I can. I, I, I'm hoping you got a whole bunch of questions to ask me. Um, my conclusions. I love this game. Um, the the graphic arts, and this is what I want to talk about the the board game, like the 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 game board itself. Um, it is probably from being a dad, right, and trying to have my teach my my family a new games. There's the game board itself has this this kind of shadowy dark village feel as like a dark blue background and light blue where the where the moon lights up the the certain uh, um waterways for the for the creature from the black lagoon but the map itself is illuminated and easily uh, um, separated from the background because it's got this warm on a blue background. It's got this warm yellow kind of vintage turn of the century um, streetlight uh, uh, um, illumination to it, which I think is probably the most considerate thing uh, for a, a, this board game. I mean, there's no, there's no shock value visually when I see this game. And that's, that's one thing I really like about this game. Um, as far as all of the co-op stuff that I have, I think I appreciate this game the most because it's fast to set up. It's easily understood. I don't have to go into the rule book. I mean, once you play it a couple times, it's in your head, it's locked in. It's one of these easy games to, uh, uh, to get into, right? I mean, man, uh, doing a solo play on this maybe takes me five minutes to get this thing going right so well plus it has a lot of dna of other other games so that helps you kind of remember stuff too i would imagine and that's what i mean it's that whole i think the the this team of prospero hall i I, i've come to understand that it's a team of designers that are very kind of uh, uh, um let's work under the umbrella of like like a like a like a band, right? I mean, we're all unique musicians, and let's function under the band name. So their band name is Prospero Hall, um, and I think they 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 paid proper respect to that social contract of what a co-op game, how a co-op game behaves. Um, and kudos to them because this just makes me want to buy more of their stuff, right? Um, before I get into my shelf position, I want to hear some feedback, gentlemen. 
what intrigued me was those perk cards. So would you say that that's one of the more interesting parts of the game is getting those perk cards? The perk cards are exactly, I mean, I perked up when I went, oh yeah, that's exactly what these things do in the game is you, when you have, when you get a perk card, you play it face up so everybody can see it, right? So they can strategically um, work the group's perks. Now, one, one, I mean, they're pretty straightforward. One's called hurry, move each hero up to two spaces. These are the cards that all of a sudden it's like, I found 20 bucks in my pocket, right? It's just this, <laughs> yay, awesome. I forgot about that. Sweet, right? Move move a monster four spaces. Yay, we can save the, right? It's just one of those <gasps> moments of, of, you know, joy until, you, you know, then it's the monster's turn and you go, oh no, we're back stuck into a corner again, right? <laughs> but it's exactly what it says. It's a perk. It's, it. It's I'm going to I'm going to use that metaphor again. It's finding 20 bucks in the coat pocket. Right. That's that's. Yeah. yeah. Ryan. So I know you're have- you love your pandemic. I know you do. Well, I, I'm, and I was about to say, too, that does. So so pandemic already we, we, we made these jokes already in the in the previous episode when you when you mentioned to play this, that this is just like another re-theme of uh, of the of we quote unquote call it the pandemic mechanism because the pandemic kind of really set set the standard for these cooperative yeah. type type of games and everything. But would th- this sounds like it would be even more of a of a, of a maybe of a kind of like a, a better entry point for for some people because maybe that maybe that whole pandemic the the, the where we are right now in our <laughs> world of fighting viruses and everything maybe that might not be a, a, a great spot for some people whereas you know it's a worn out theme right now (laughs) whereas like you know fighting horror monsters might might be like a little a a more fun twist yeah you say that until we get the vampire invasion of 2021 (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah the werewolf the werewolf sightings have started again (laughs) no that's just my uncle rudy (laughs) no Um, we're, we're, we're gonna get we're gonna get pandemic 2020 coming out here oh you know what's gonna happen (laughs) um but yeah no i think i think what what was discussed before is that is that we've all come we've all gained an understanding of how a co-op game functions and then i think this does now again it differs from pandemic because there's no (laughs) like pandemic there's no tipping point of all of a sudden, you you start to you know you start to grow in adjoining cities. There's there's none of that in this manner. It's just instead of instead of your viral blobs moving around, it's the monsters that are physically you know Frankenstein. And this is the best part. I love it. They're slow, but it's this tension slowly builds up because I mean they move two spaces at a time, or you you could move four, but. Man, oh man, they just start converging on you, and you, the that noose starts to tighten up a lot, right? I mean, it creates the appropriate tension that is expected. I think. Nice. Right on. Right yeah. on. So for me, I would say shelf position comfortably sits on my middle shelf, right? Um, it's it's not something that I'm gonna, you know. It's not now again, not to say that because it's not deep and crunchy and a heavy euro that it doesn't deserve to be on the top shelf. It might just sneak its way out of the top shelf just because of, you know, number of plays, right? 
So Sweet. yeah, it's it's sitting comfortably on the uh, on the middle shelf with with the uh, with the with the potential Dracula bat transformation to bring it up to the third to the top <laughs> shelf. Well, nice. They finished that with a nice metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> so, which is your favorite of the old monster movies? My favorite, well, man, I mean, I hit it with the Abbott and Costello stuff, right? They they pretty much got to play around with all those IPs. But um, if we're going to go into the whole traditional thing, I, I think, now again, I was going to say Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, but it's not even a monster on this one. Um, I'm a big fan of the whole Frankenstein, right? Yeah. The, the, Mary, the original Mary Shelley. Um the because that was just an allegory for so many things, right? But again, I don't want to get too deep. <laughs> I'm just following Ian trying to figure out which which one of those monster movies is going to be the highest on his top 100 list. That's that he cool. yeah, every day. Every huge movie fan. <laughs> um, uh, as far as the IP goes, does that draw you a little bit? It's interesting. Yeah, I like you got to love those classic monster movies. Creature from the Black Lagoon is great it's probably my favorite out of them frankenstein's probably objectively the best but he's got the most screen time (laughs) (laughs) well let's take uh let's take that as a nice segue to uh closing up this episode any uh any uh, last any last things on the way out gentlemen i want a game with actual people (laughs) i think we're i think we're close we feel like we're close we're, We're getting so more closer. We just got, at least for me, I just have to see the news feed that in the city, there were a weeks, we, at least if we can go a week without a new case. Right. Yeah. Then I'm okay. Then I'll feel okay. Other than that, I'm I'm going to behave like monk and then just be <laughs> like, just be like, go through like a squeegee wash of antibacterial soap. All right. So, Thank you for making your way to the end of the episode. I commend you. You should have a achievement award. Ryan, what's that? What's that sound? Achievement unlocked. Ding, bling. <laughs> um, uh, end of episode achieved. Uh, either feel shameful or um, uh, feel glad. Uh, I have no, been. They, ha- they, they are two brain cells now wiser. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have been your host, Norm. I've been Ryan. I'm Ian. (laughs) And we'll catch you later. We are Bridge City Board Gamers. You can find us on Twitter at BC Board Gamers, on YouTube, and on Facebook at Bridge City Board Gamers Community. And, of course, on BGG, Guild number 3039.